one of, it feels like one of the hardest things to teach your kids <clears throat> is the necessity of sharing. Like, I know the house is not completely uh, peaceful when it's only one child, but it's free of certain squabbles uh, that, that is not true when all of a sudden you have a second child that comes and that second child uh, or third child begin kind of expressing their wills and their desire for things, especially if those things uh, technically belong to the other child. <laughs> In our house, we don't even know necessarily what belongs to who, but I think our kids have a pretty good idea uh, as to what belongs to who and, and, and who deserves what. Even when we get things out of the library, I think that there's an understanding that like, this book is clearly my book uh, and it is not your book, therefore I will read it first. But they don't always agree on that, right? Like that's not actually, they, they haven't talked about it beforehand. They've just come to their conclusions and decided no, I get it first, and, uh, and maybe like you'll get it after that. <clears throat> that, that, that sharing and, and, and not sharing, really, is, is the source of, of incredible squabbles among children. Um, whether it's with um, toys, uh, that they have to share certain toys, or whether it's in um, sharing responsibility for how a certain imagination game will go. Well, no, this person's supposed to do this. Well, no, they are not. <laughs> And there is no agreement uh, anywhere in the middle as to what goes on with that. Whether it's the sharing of food. I know as a kid, I loved other people that shared, but I hated when I had to be the one that actually shared with other people. That was not something that I uh, intensely appreciated, but I appreciated it about other people. Or friends even, too. I've heard before that, that kids at a certain age can, can only play really well with like one other person. And then if you add like a third person into that, uh, all of a sudden it becomes incredibly complicated because you've got the, well, we're best friends. And it's like, no, but we're best friends. And it's like, you can't, and they're, they like, we can't all be best friends. And I actually don't like you, but we both like this person. So how do we, how do we work this out? This idea of, of sharing is just an incredible struggle, I think. And, and if we're honest, I don't know that this has gone away uh, as we have moved away from childhood in, in a lot of us. Um, I know for myself there are definitely things that I struggle uh, to share. And I think that at the heart of it, and maybe not the heart of it, but a big part of it is that we, we have different views of possessions and things. One of the things that I think we can struggle with is this idea that, that resources are limited. That, that there is only so much of, of some things, or that if we have something and we then share that something with somebody else, it means that I don't have that something, but they have that something. And that's not okay, because I really want that something, or I want all of that something. I don't want to divide it up and give it to another person. That's not what I enjoy doing. And so we kind of hold on to those things that are ours, because if we are to uh, lend it to someone, if we were to share it with someone, there is no guarantee that it's coming back. There's no guarantee that, as I think Waylon said last week, it's coming back in the same shape uh, as it left in. And, and we don't have it, and we may never see it again or, or whatnot. Um, if you have it, I don't have it. I think that's, a, that's maybe some of the things that are at our, in our heart. And, and, and a part of that is, too, that we would have maybe a fear of provision, that we're not sure if we will continue to get things uh, and so to give things away seems like 
it, it doesn't seem very wise. And so to not give things away because we don't know if other things are coming our way, to us seems like maybe it's responsible and maybe it's an okay thing for us to do. And, and, and maybe at the heart of that, though, is that we are afraid that there will be no provision for the future. And, and, and maybe at the heart of that is that we don't have a deep understanding of the generous heart of God. That we look at God and we think, Maybe we would never say it out loud, but we partly think in our hearts that maybe he is a, a miser and that he doesn't give to us uh, good things and the things that we need, that we don't understand that he has withheld nothing from us, that as Romans 8 says, like he didn't even withhold his own son, that he was generous enough to give us uh, the life of his own son so that we could experience uh, joy and life and, and fullness and completion and forgiveness uh, with him. That we struggle to see <clears throat> that God is incredibly generous. And Scripture really, really highlights the aspect of the fact that, that not only is God, gen is God generous, but that we ourselves are to be generous. That we ourselves are called to share. That we, we used these verses a couple of weeks ago um, in, in talking about um, money and, and, and beginning our series on, on Jesus and money and what it looks like for us to have uh, an understanding of, of money as Jesus did. And, and last week we started by looking at our principles of, of stewardship, that, that everything we have is God's and that we then are to uh, be responsible with those things because they don't belong to us. But how we use them um, is important and will be held into account. This week we're going to be talking about the idea of, of sharing and generosity. But sharing because it starts with S and so does stewardship and it's hard for me to get away from that. So sharing is what we're talking about. But in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9 we have a, a couple of passages that Paul writes to a local church and he says to them uh, in, in, a, uh, in an offering that they're going to be giving to another church, he says to them, given proportion to what you have, Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly and give according to what you have, not what you don't have. He goes on to say in verse 14 of 2 Corinthians 8, Right now you have plenty and can help those who are in need. Later they will have plenty and can share with you when you need it. In this way things will be equal. He goes on then to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, he gives sort of an example of this in, in verse 6. Remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. That there is this value of generosity that as we give, God gives and it's not it's not that God will stop giving but we can't as people have said you can't outgive God that as we give God continues to give and God continues to provide uh, and he takes care of those who are generous towards others 
And so the principle that we're looking at today is this principle of sharing and what it means for us to share with one another, but also what it means for us to share with uh, those outside of uh, our, our body of believers. What does it mean for us to be generous, and what does it mean for us to share? To help us in this, we have three parables that we're going to look at, and Susanna read the two of them, and then I'm holding on to the second one as a big surprise. Not really. <laughs> it just came after I decided that we were going to do two parables, so... Um, but there's three parables that we're going to look at to try to help us see what the heart of God is for generosity and for sharing. So the first one we're going to look at is, is the second one that Susanna read, Luke chapter 16, verses 1 to 9, which is referred to in my passage as the parable of the shrewd manager. And this story is not an easy one to teach on, but Jesus is so very gracious because at the end of what he is teaching, he actually says, hey, this is the point. And so that's really helpful for us because we could go a lot of unhelpful ways with this parable. And so you see in, in verse 9 that Jesus kind of summarizes it and said, here's the lesson. But in this story, you have a servant who has actually been mismanaging uh, his master's money. He's, been, um, he's not been using it well or he's been skimming off the top. He hasn't been um, he hasn't been uh, taking care of it. Wasting his employer's money is what it says. And so the employer, the master, calls him in and says, well, you're going to be fired. And the manager thought to himself, what am I going to do? I'm so weak. I can't, like, dig ditches or anything like that. I will not be good at this. I need to, I need to take care of myself. And what he does is he then calls in those who owe resources to his master, those who owe money to his master, and he says, what's your bill? Okay, reduce it. And in one case, he says, reduce it by half, and in another, it's reduced by, um, you know, from 1,000 to 800, and that that's what he does. And, and you imagine that he probably goes on and does this uh, with a few more people. Uh, and, and his his idea behind this is to help out people so that they will look upon him favorably and probably, you know, provide him with a job or even just take care of him. Maybe they were going to, maybe he was going to convince them, why don't you give me uh, the 200? You owed it somewhere anyway. Or maybe just give me 100 because I saved you some. It doesn't go into a whole lot of detail there. But the surprising thing about the story, right, is the response of the master. Because at this point in time, you assume that the master would say, you owe me 400 of this, you owe me 200 of that. He's already been fired, but I imagine that there are likely court systems that there would be able to be repercussions for what it is that this guy is doing in the name of the master that is no longer his master. But the response of the master is to be impressed. He admires what it is that this shrewd rascal has done. He's impressed with him. He says, oh yeah, that was really clever. I took away his job. He mismanaged my money. Like, there's no question that he did bad things at the front end, and then he does bad things with his master's money again, it seems like, but the master says, like, yeah, well done. Really, really interesting. And Jesus then goes on to say that the lesson is, Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. I've heard somebody say in, in reference to this story that the master, and, and with parables, you can't always make direct connections between all the characters and, oh, this is God and this is Jesus. But clearly the response of the master here is one that we can 
look at, not the original firing, but specifically his impression of what the, the shrewd manager did, or the shrewd man did, uh, when he said um, that he was impressed and that he admired it. And so what we can look at the master, we can look at God and say is that God loves it when we give his stuff away. God loves it when we give his stuff away. That that's what we see within this, and specifically when we use it to benefit other people. That that's what we're to do. That God is pleased, the master is pleased when we use his resources to benefit other people and to make friends. In this story, it's about taking care of ourselves. And you see in, in the Second Corinthians passage that Paul says, you have a lot right now, so give what you have. And then later, maybe when you don't have as much, because we know that things shift. We know that communities go up. We know that communities go down. We know that that happens with economies. We know that people lose jobs and people gain jobs. We know that these kind of things happen and there's ups and downs in life and there's ups and downs financially. And Paul says, you have a lot now, so give. Because then maybe when you don't have so much, people will give to you. People will take care of you. So there is this idea of, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. It seems a little weird that we can find that within Scripture, but there is kind of this principle that's there. Um, it doesn't seem like the most honest of intentions. I'm going to take care of you because someday you'll take care of me. But there is this uh, teaching that we have here that God loves it when we use his resources to benefit others. That we have been blessed to be a blessing. That the things that you've been given, the things that I've been given are not only for me, but they're for the benefit of others. We have been blessed to be a blessing. We have been given gifts to share them with others. And our resources are to build into people, not only ourselves, not only those who are a part of our family, not only our businesses, but they are to build into others. They are to build into uh, our culture. They are to provide for other people. And it's so interesting that at the end of the story, uh, Jesus says, then when your earthly possessions are gone, so you're sharing this, you're, you're benefiting other people with what it is that you have, then when your earthly possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home whether it's your earthly possessions that will welcome you to your eternal home, or whether it is what you have invested your earthly possessions into, right? Paul says in, in 1 Thessalonians uh, 2, verses 19 to 20, as he's talking to this church, and he's talking about how uh, his, his brother in Christ, Timothy, has given an amazing report about what the church is doing. Paul is swelling with pride, and he says to these People, after all, what gives us hope and joy and what will be our proud reward and crown as we stand before our Lord Jesus when he returns? Because there is reward language in the Bible. Beyond salvation, there is reward language. And Paul asks, what is our reward and crown? It's you. Yes, you are our pride and joy. That the things that we have sowed into you will be our reward as we see what God has done in you and even as we've seen the multiplication that if I pour my life into somebody not only have I poured my life into them but then what I have poured into them can get poured into another God willing and the multiplication of that 
will welcome you to an eternal home. You are my joy, my crown. The second parable that I want to draw your attention to is the first parable that Susanna read, Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. And this is called the parable of the rich fool. Uh, And as you heard, it began with somebody asking a question, which is often uh, how Jesus begins parables. And it's important to pay attention to the question because not only is Jesus telling a story, but Jesus is trying to answer uh, a question or provide teaching in response to that question uh, throughout this. And so at the beginning, someone called from the crowd, teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Bold, like... if you're in a public place and there's somebody of authority there and you're like, tell this person to share money with me, like that's, you're either incredibly desperate or very, very um, clueless as to maybe what things are supposed to do. But perhaps this was a common thing within the culture. And so then Jesus says, like, who am I to say this? Uh, who am I to do this? And he says, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. And then he goes on to tell them a story, right, where there's a rich man with a fertile farm. He's had a good year or a good couple of years, and he has more uh, resources, more crops than he knows what to do with. And he says to himself, I know I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. Which... I mean, we could look at it and say, yeah, this is a good idea. If we, if we acquire more things, if, if our businesses are growing, if, if we see different things kind of happening, then what we should do is we should, um, we should build up our potential to kind of make more. Uh, the heart behind that, hopefully, is that we can bless other people. We can provide jobs for more people or we can help others. But this man's response is that he will be able to sit back and say to himself, my friend, You have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night, then who will get everything you worked for? And again, Jesus summarizes his teaching in the parable, which is just so wonderful when he does it. He says, yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. So this individual in the story gets more stuff, and then decides that he can store up more stuff so that he can live, as he says, a carefree life. Or if we would look at that and say, uh, so that we would be able to live, or he would be able to live, uh, the good life. You know, I've always, always had a complicated relationship with money because I don't, I've never had a ton of it. But I've always wondered what it would be like to have enough money that you don't have to think about it and you can just buy what you need and even what you want. You can just say like, oh, I want this. Oh, I can just go buy it then. Great. And you don't really have to think about it. You can just sort of go do it. I think, to me, that's always kind of summarized uh, our, our, our picture of what the good life is. That we, we don't necessarily have to worry about money. It's always there. Uh, and even to the point where we can just have whatever it is that we want. And that we can retire to a life of leisure, like what it is that this individual is talking about. That we can eat, drink, uh, and be merry. That we don't have cares. We just, it's all done. That that is our kind of picture of the good life. And Jesus is quite condemning to this in this picture. I do need to be clear that this is not about, this is not against wealth. 
that this is not against the acquiring of wealth, which I know can be, if we see these, we can feel very condemned because of all it is that we have. But this story is against greed. It is against our, our, our choosing to not share the wealth that we have, to not be generous with the things that God has given to us. Because maybe this farmer is a really incredible farmer. Maybe it was just a really good year that they didn't have a whole lot of control over. But they chose to kind of keep it for themselves. The end of the story, when Jesus says, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. So it's not, you're a fool if you store up earthly wealth. But it's a fool, you're a fool if you do that and or you don't have a rich relationship with God. That this is clearly the more important thing in the equation. But what is... What do we do with that statement that, that our money has to do with relationship? I think when I read the parable, I wasn't totally clear as to what it is that Jesus was saying there, and so I had to think about this uh, a little bit to kind of sort out and say, um, well, what does this have to do with relationship? What does this have to do with relationship with God, even? And I think, again, that the context of the story clues me into um, what this has to do with relationship. So in the beginning, this is all spawned by uh, a, brother, uh, a brotherly squabble about sharing. <laughs> that one brother had been given the inheritance is sort of what it seems like, and the other brother wanted the inheritance. I don't know in this culture if, and I should have researched this, if uh, you, know, you have in the Bible that it always goes to the oldest, um, and then maybe it's up to them to like divide it amongst everybody or they just kind of keep it all. And if you're a second born, well, too bad for you. But in this story, the, the one brother wants what the other brother has, or at least he wants, what, uh, he wants some of what the other brother has. And that's kind of where it comes about. And he wants it so badly that he will publicly expose his brother's heart or actions in front of a large crowd of people. And then Jesus goes on to warn about greed. So I would imagine that the motives of the brother asking the question were greed-related. I want more. And maybe they didn't have very much, but there was this motivation to have more, so much that he would damage the relationship of the brother. And it's probably a warning if the other brother's there too. It's likely a warning about greed to that brother because it's like, well, you've driven your brother <laughs> to this point where he's willing to destroy the relationship because of your greed. That the greed that we can have for not wanting to share and not wanting to be generous, whatever the motivation is for that, whether it is fear, whether it is um, you know, thinking that we're, we're properly stewarding things or, or that we mistrust people or whatever it may be, a greed affects, that greed affects all of our relationships. That the greed that can exist in our hearts means that we are out for ourselves and our own gain. That we can begin to look at other people and say, what can you provide for me? Uh, not what can I give to you? And that this will directly affect our relationship with God. Directly. Because we will begin to look at God and say, what can you give to me? As opposed to what 
can I give for you? What am I able to give for you? God, allow me to be generous. Help me to be generous towards you. It's so interesting in this parable that the man talks to himself. That he said to himself, what should I do? That he refers to himself as my friend. He's so alone. (laughs) He has nobody but his stuff. That's where greed brings us. And so, our relationships, if we are not generous like God is generous, that is where things can go for us and with us. A person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. And the last parable that we have um, to sort of look at, and, and we'll end here and then a story, um, is, is Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 46. And I think that this sheds light on how focusing on our earthly possessions and not being generous towards others, whether it's a brother, whether it's a close friend, whatever it may be, whomever it is that God is placing on our heart to be generous towards that not doing that can affect our relationship with God. Because in Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46, and we're not going to read the whole thing, but I'm, I'm guessing that you're familiar with this story, is the story referred to as the final judgment where you have two groups of people, and they're referred to as sheep and goats. And it says that they are separated, that they are divided. And then it says that they are put on, uh, the, the sheep are placed on the right hand, of, of the Son of Man or Jesus, and the goats are placed on the left. And then the king will say to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, When did we ever see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did these things, when you did uh, it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. And then he speaks to the goats. And in essence, he says, you will not inherit this because you didn't feed me, you didn't clothe me, you didn't visit me, you didn't welcome me in. And they, like the first, would say, well, well when, did we, when did we see you? When, did we, when could we have fed you? Like, we, we never, we, we didn't see you, we weren't in contact with you. What are you talking about? And the king says, well, when you refuse to do this for the least of my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. Our relationships to other people, the way we treat other people, our generosity towards others, or our lack of generosity towards others, is our heart towards God. It is impossible for us to disconnect our relationship to people as Christians from our relationship to God. Impossible. Because how we treat the ones that he loves is how we treat him. 
We are to be generous as he is generous. We are not to hold back the things that he has asked us to give. To be generous towards others is to be generous towards God. Sharing what we have with others draws us nearer to God. Uh, a few months back, uh, it's like six now maybe, it's eight, it's a while, um, I did go overseas uh, with, a, with a small group of people from uh, our denomination to do a, uh, it was a prayer and discernment trip uh, in, in a closed country where the gospel is not welcome. And we were in four different places um, in that. And I wanted to thank you, and I'm, I'm sure that, I, I don't know if I've said this before, but I do want to thank you for your generosity towards me. Um, in allowing me to go and enabling me to go. And just before I left, it was the Sunday before I left, and we were, we were flying out the next day, uh, I was given a gift by, by two separate people in, in this church, uh, and they were checks, and they were both for $200. And they were written to me, and so I'm like, wait, what do I do with this? <laughs> it's supposed to be maybe to the church, or, or, and I can't, like, I can't take this and cash this and, and all this kind of stuff. Like, I can't give this to the church and take it and go with me. And so in my, uh, my brain, I thought, like, oh, well, I guess I'll just cash these and, uh, and take these with me. I guess these are for me. What a, what a, what a wonderful gift. Uh, and I took them with me, and I, I had no idea what it was that I was going to do with this $400, but it was sitting in my wallet, and, uh, and I was going to take that and, and wait and see. Maybe I was going to get to buy uh, really neat gifts to bring back for people and all that sort of stuff. I wasn't sure. I didn't know what I was going to do with this. My mind was not really thinking clearly. I just said, oh, it's here. What do I do? I'll cash it. Take it with me. On our first stop, we um, met with uh, a few international workers. Uh, our international worker from our church was there, but also we met a few from, uh, from the states and, and different places. And everywhere we went, we prayed for our international workers, the international workers that were connected to the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And this first stop, uh, this couple has three kids, and two of them are graduating. And one of the things that they ask us to pray for them is that they would be able to uh, go on their class trip. They didn't have a whole lot of funds, but there was a graduation trip. They're in an international school, and so it's people from all over the world are together. And they're not necessarily going to be able to see their friends again uh, beyond this point. And so it was important for them that they be able to go on this trip. And as we prayed for them, I felt God nudge me or tell me or lead me to say that the 400 that I had was for them. And so I thought, okay, it's not really mine anyway. Like, I just have it with me. This is pretty easy for me to give away. Um, I didn't, I wasn't deeply invested in this and everything. And so I decided, okay, God, so 200 to one and 200 to the other. Sounds great. I figured out, I asked our worker how it is that that would be best done and, and sort of went ahead and did that and gave them that money uh, and was able to bless them with that and, and, um, and hope and continue to hope and pray that they have been able to go on their graduation trip because it felt like it was so important for them. And I trust that if God led me, that he led others as well. The next day, we're flying out of our city and we're going to a second city. And uh, as we're going through airport security, some, it's different uh, in the country that, that we were in. Like our airport security, they kind of keep everything neat and tidy like together. And then it comes to the end and, and you have your three boxes that you put all your stuff in and you feel slightly ashamed of, 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 of just going through. You feel like a little bit less of a human as you go through security. Um, you, you grab all your stuff and there it is. In, in this country, it seemed as though they would put like your containers through several times 
and they weren't necessarily concerned about the order of things. And so I remember putting all my stuff in the different boxes and oh, because my wallet sometimes has some metal things in it, I'll just put it in here too. And then they kind of take it out and they put it back through and all the boxes are kind of mingled together and I had one of mine over there and there was a guy here and he was grabbing some of his stuff. Uh, and then as I was leaving and I think as we actually landed in our next spot and we were in a bit of a rush, kind of like we were nervous and I, or I was nervous, I don't know if anybody else was, <laughs> that we were going to make it to our airplane on time and everything. When we landed at our next stop, I realized that my wallet was gone. And I was pretty upset about that, and, and, uh, and I either figured out that, that somebody had nabbed it because it was just kind of out in the open and they were so mixed up, or, or in the rush, I had um, absentmindedly kind of left it somewhere. And I was upset at myself. I had you know, some of my own money uh, in there, but our team leader helped me out and, and all that kind of stuff. But it's so neat because I didn't lose that $400. That was already given away. That would have made me really upset. But it was given away. It was already given to somebody else, and so we hadn't actually lost it. On our way back, we had to stop off in that first city again just for a night, because that was where our main flight was heading out of to come back to Canada. And on our way through uh, that first city, we had uh, breakfast with, with one of the international workers. And they gave me uh, a note, an, an envelope and a note from each of those, each of those two uh, kids that, that I had given that money to, or God had asked me to give that money to. And in that note, they both gave back $50. Because they said, we know that it costs a lot of money to replace IDs uh, and things like that. And I was struck by their generosity in doing that and, and, and struck by God's kind of care for me, that I would have been able to cover that, but what an encouragement to be able to say, oh, I don't have to worry about this. And I, I didn't see them. There was no, like, I couldn't refuse it and push it back and say, like, no, this is for you. Um, and that wasn't what I was to do anyway. I had the sense, like, okay, I'll take that and I will use that. They have been generous in return uh, as God has been generous to them. And I think this is God's economy. Like, I think that's how God's economy works. It's a beautiful picture to me of how that works, is that God gives, and he then asks us to give. And even though we give and we think that we might be losing, things actually do come back to us. We don't lose much. We bless others. It can be a, a beautiful thing to be able to uh, be a part of and to see. So I want to encourage you that as God has been generous to you, you are called to be generous to others. And my prayer is that we would experience the blessing of living generously and sharing as God calls us and prompts us to share. Uh, let me pray. Father God, I thank you so much for your generous heart. I thank you that you have not withheld anything from us, God. That you give and you give and you give. Even though you know that we will sometimes misuse the things that you give our way. You provide. You care for us. You are extravagantly generous. May we be as you are in this world for those in need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.